do you sort out the so-called jargon from real-world practices that work? Do the members of your organization find some business advice utterly confusing? Welcome to the 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. In this program, we set the record straight and in terms that people at any level of business and technology can understand. Now, here is your host, Sam Holzman. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to this episode of the 2020s Enterprise. I'm Sam Holzman, and the topic today uh, has the following title, Cutting Through the Techno Babble Claptrap in Business and Technology. And this is sort of hopefully a, a fun episode of the 2020s Enterprise, uh, fun in some ways. Uh, in other ways, it's I hope it'll be a little bit uh, revealing, you know, that's there. And Many, many years ago, uh, many, many, many years ago, uh, my background, if you looked at my background in my uh, bio, uh, I grew up and uh, have, I have three college degrees. That's why my brain hurts right now, but two of the degrees are in engineering, and one of them is an MBA. And when I finished my engineering program, I was sort of looking at other things, and, and I said, you know, to round out my uh, personality, if I can use that phrase, Maybe I should work on the other side of the brain. And boy, was that an, a, a rude awakening for me. Um, because a lot of business and business degrees are really about structuring things. Um, so there's a, a, a human consumability, but there's that marketing bent there. And I remember one of my uh, professors, and I, I can't quote the professor exactly, said Almost in passing, you know, one of the things about marketing is why say things in two words when you can say them in 34? <laughs> and I remembered that and I sort of like smiled because from an engineering standpoint, it's just the opposite. What you're trying to do is to take something very complex and make it consumable uh, for various people. So it's the simplification that's there. And it's not that you're taking phrases and trying to hide things. But it's that expressiveness, you know, that's there. So this this show is is about, uh, this episode is about looking through some of these phrases that you probably have heard out there, sometimes in passing, but sometimes it may have, uh, you, you looked at it and said, well, I wonder what this actually means, you know, that's there. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And there's no way in an hour episode that I can cover even a percent of the stuff that's out there and, and thrown into this every day. Uh, so I'm going to get started right now. And the first word or the first phrase that I'm going to be discussing with you is the word cloud or cloud computing. I'm pretty sure that anyone listening to this broadcast has heard that phrase before and possibly you haven't thought much about it. And, and maybe it's not on your radar screen in the beginning, but there's something here that's very important. There is no magic there is no such thing as a cloud computer. What cloud computing is, quite directly and simply, is using someone else's computer. That's really what it is. You've decided that you're going to use somebody else's computer either for your processes or storing your things or things like that. There's no magic. There's no, quote, cloud out there. And in the olden days, it used to be called time sharing, and it was approach that you're sharing resources rather than having dedicated. And another phrase that may be related to this is on-premise computing. 
which basically means it's inside your company or inside your building versus off-premises, which could be somewhere else. And one of the areas it could be is this phrase called cloud, cloud computing that's there. Now, interestingly enough, the industry is struggling with that phrase a little bit. And also the concept uh, is getting some backlash because people are seeing what they call cloud sticker shock. In other words, it's really a, a rental model. And you and I in our daily lives make a choice in everything that we purchase. And when I say purchase, we have three choices when we go out to get anything. We can rent it, we can lease it, and we can buy it. And cloud computing is essentially is a rental model and it's sort of like based on consumption. I'm going to use this much, and I'm going to use this much, and I'm going to use this much. But one of the things about the cloud that people are really comfortable about is I'm not going to, quote, run out. The problem is it can become a burden at the end of the month when you sort of get your bill that's there, and that's why it's called cloud computing sticker shock. The other thing is that there's some things, there's a lot of things that we're finding isn't suitable for that remote type of access. So now we're getting into other phrases that also sound a little bit funny that you may have heard or you may, but again, it's the concept is the same. You're putting your stuff somewhere else and accessing it. So there is no cloud. It's just someone else's computer that you're using. So now you may hear the word fog computing. Now think about the word fog in relation to cloud. A cloud is farther away. Fog is closer to you, closer to the ground. So now we have fog computing, which is closer to your business or your enterprise or you. And, of course, now we also have another phrase that's coming out there called edge computing. Now, if you look at the sequence, you've got clouds, you've got fog, you've got edge. Now, what is edge? You can sort of... Guess what that is? That's really, really, really close to your building, so to speak, or to you. And what do you think is going to happen next? Well, let's bring it back in-house again. The bottom line here, there's no magic. For those of you that are listening to me from the business side, there's no magic there. That This is not something that will solve issues of world hunger, so to speak. It's another technology. There's no magic to it. It's a different way to buy computing cycles. That's the way you should look at it. From those of you in technology, just as, as a, a bit of caution, same type of thing. It's a technology. It had some benefits, has some benefits, and it also has some drawbacks, but it's nothing really magic that's there. Now, coupled with that is something that probably all of you use, of course, and that's the internet. And the internet is a series of Millions of computers interconnected into a global network. That's what the internet is. Interconnected network. That's where this comes from. Inter, interconnected, network, the NET. So it's I-N-T-E-R, N-E-T, interconnected network. All these computers can talk to each other and receive data around the world as fast as the interconnections allow that's there. And so it's a distributed set of clouds <laughs> that's sort of there. And you and I can, can use that. 
The benefits of that is obviously the communication speed. What the Internet has done is virtually collapsed time and distance to zero, which has, of course, positive effects. And as we all know, kind of negative effects. That's the evildoers are the, and the good people are always battling with each other, uh, you, know, that's, you know, that's there. One of the negative sides of the Internet that we're seeing, of course, is that the Internet was never engineered. It just evolved. And that's, of course, why the hackers are having such a great time out there. And that was a broadcast uh, I've done, you know, some time ago on the 2020s Enterprise Program where I talked about this concept and, and the issues that we're seeing. But that's not what we're going to be talking about in this. So the Internet. Internet is just a series of computers that are interconnected by a bunch of wires or satellites or fiber optics or things like that. It's the backbone hardware that's there. Now, on top of that, we have the web, which is the system where some, but not all of the data is kept in the form of special documents. And these documents, so to speak, if I can use that generic term, are linked together and more commonly known to you as me as web pages. That's really that's there. So the internet is equipment and connections. The web is the information. And so really that's what, what is there. Now, a lot of people nowadays look at the World Wide Web. They don't even even thought about that. They call it the cloud. Well, that's different as, as we, we talked about. It's a little bit different. So I'm just giving you some ideas there and some background as to what, what these, uh, these items are. You know, as we're uh, as we're looking as as we're looking on here, and the terms itself are not as important as recognizing there's pieces that are out there, and they're changing as we uh, you know as we essentially move forward. Another concept that you're seeing and hearing about is net neutrality, and this is something that is really controversial as to how this is all going to organize. And whether you're pro or con, there is a lot of things that are going on here. And it's the concept that government or one of your Internet service providers, so if you're at home, for example, whether you have you know Comcast or Spectrum or Verizon or somebody like that, should they be forced or legally required to carry all data on the internet the same way? Or can you essentially buy better access that's there? This is, a, this is a big question. And as we're heading into the political season coming up pretty soon, you can sort of see the debates that are probably going on. You know, in other words, is my message to you, if I pay an extra $10, will it get to you prior to somebody else. And, uh, of course, those that are proponents of net neutrality are looking at it as, no, those that say it's an economic thing, it's a business, the Internet is a business that's there, and I can pay for prioritization of my text messages or my videos, et cetera, et cetera. Fascinating, fascinating. And there's a ton of discussions about this right now. So when you hear that term net, net neutrality, you can see some of the consequences, pro and con, of doing this. And it's a really tough, tough situation. In other words, is the Internet, is those, are those wires and the people that own them, 
Uh, do they have the right to decide what goes, you know, how much traffic goes where and when and things like that, the speeds and things like that? It's it's a tough one. You know, it's a it's it's a it's a tough one. And a lot of people look at the internet as a utility. You know, just like uh, just like the utilities that you have. So, for example, electricity. Uh, you know, that would be there. Now, when you start looking at these other examples, you start seeing there's this mix of legal requirements and also access requirements. In other words, uh, in some areas of the country, uh, for example, in Florida and and, uh, California, uh, from an electricity standpoint, you get a certain amount of electricity to your home or business for X dollars uh, per unit. And then above that, you pay a different price. Well, is that neutral? <laughs> you can see how the debates are. And, and again, there's no real answer right now because the Internet, people look at as this mysterious thing. But it's really a pipe that electrons go through. That's really what it is. And so that's the issue that we see there. Another term that you're probably hearing about Big data. Oh, boy. Big data. And that's a buzzword that is really, really common out there. And what that buzzword is, it describes large amounts of data that are collected by companies or institutions. So whether it's Google or Facebook or a pharmaceutical company or the opt-in that you do when you say, I accept, and you don't think about it, or whether it's your internet service provider, people putting these large amounts of data together and try to analyze it. And some of the effects you know, that you see, if, of course, if you use Amazon, for example, they say, you know, uh, this person just bought a box of diapers and uh, 20... Baby bottles. Hmm. <laughs> wonder if there's a pattern here that I can see. Wonder if I should send them a coupon for uh, or suggest to them this new type of crib uh, that they may be of interested in. And all of that analysis is involved around big data, massively large data sets that are out there. Underneath that is an assumption, massive assumption that you have good data and clean good data that isn't tainted that's there. And some of the things that we're seeing with this usage right now, because really it's in its infancy, technology is really in its infancy. Uh, For those of you that have been around for a while, you know what I'm talking about. You know, the internet's only been around for a few decades and a decade sounds like a long time, but it's really a heartbeat in time that, you know, that we're seeing there. So this area of big data is an analysis tool. It's an analysis tool that's there. And we're getting used to it. So basically, what big data is, is the collection of, of information. It's usually bits and bytes that somebody uses to come up with a way to um, in, in, induce you for a certain reaction or to analyze things that are beneficial to you, you know, that are there. And underlying that would be the concept of having good data of course, that you would need to be able to uh, uh, to do that. And within that is a 
technique called data mining. And basically what you're doing in data mining is looking at big data and figuring out what these trends are. And uh, that that is sometimes um, difficult. But those that can get it right, you can see the benefits of, of that. So we've got big data, and underlying that would be the quality of that data. And the concept of discovering patterns from that data is known as data mining. So it's, that, it's a different term that we see there from a, a standpoint of what mining is, um, you, know, that's, that, you know, that's out there. And so those types of terms are things that we are, we are looking at to sort of figure out what is going on. And a couple of newer terms that are coming out there are things like augmented reality. We have terms like artificial intelligence. And we're going to be talking about these types of terms in, in just a little bit. And these are notions that go beyond what we've seen before in the technology of the olden days because we now have some speed, some technology that allows us to do things that we couldn't do even 10 years ago because we couldn't process all that information, you know, that's there. So when we come back from our break, we're going to continue our discussion about some of this terminology in technology. And we'll also talk about, as I call it, the corporate psychobabble. Some of the phrases that you see out here that really are difficult to understand what they are. So you're listening to Sam Holzman, me, 2020's Enterprise, talking about technology terms. We'll see you back here in just a few minutes. Is your organization in the internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant-client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit PinnacleBusinessGroup.com. Are you frustrated with your business strategy, mission, or enterprise architecture efforts? If so, the book, Reaching the Pinnacle, a methodology of business understanding, technology planning, and change by leading enterprise architect practitioner Sam Holzman brings a method to the marketing madness that surrounds the enablement of business and mission strategy and enterprise architecture. This helpful, no-nonsense book sheds light on this poorly understood topic. It helps business executives and technology professionals build an enterprise architecture appropriate to their organizational needs, enabling their business and mission strategy. Enterprise architecture is the rethinking of how business and mission planning and information technology can support each other to achieve its strategic and mission objectives through the development of a series of project initiatives and agile models. Reaching the Pinnacle is available at Amazon.com.
You are listening to The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holtzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at eacoe.org. That's sam at eacoe.org. Now, back to The 2020s Enterprise. Welcome back. And uh, this issue, uh, this excuse me, this edition of the 2020s Enterprise is cutting through the techno babble and claptrap and business and technology about terms that are out there that may be of uh, familiar to you or maybe something that you've been interested in and aren't clear about clear about yet. So, Internet of Things, deep neural network, digital twins. I'm just throwing out some terms out here that some of these we're going to be covering. Biochips, brain-computer interfaces. How's that one? Whoa. <laughs> Quantum computing. You're hearing a lot about that. 5G. Of course, if you've been reading anything, 6G that's coming up there. Globalization, downsizing, right-sizing. All these phrases that are out there are have a have a meaning that's a little bit deeper, uh, and sometimes we glance over it. So as we do in the 2020s Enterprise broadcast, this broadcast you're listening to, we try to take some of those terms and do a little bit of translation for you to get behind these terms to give you an insight as to how it may affect what you're doing, your business is doing, and hopefully bring some clarity to to some of these terms that are out there. So continuing on, augmented reality. There's a lot of these phrases that are going on there. And what that is about is adding computer-generated elements, such as sounds and videos, to the real world. And it's usually done through some piece of technology like your smartphone or these glasses that you're wearing. And basically, you're augmenting, the word is pretty pretty self-explanatory, really, what you're seeing in real time. That's the reality portion of that um, that's there. Now, contrast that a little bit with the term VR, virtual reality. And virtual reality is similar, but it encompasses more of the interactions or the space that you see, all the senses that are there. And with virtual reality, you typically wear some goggles, some kind of a visual device, and headphones, which block out the outside world and gets you that immersive experience um, created by the program that's there. And some of the technology that's out there that you that you may have seen, uh, one of them, uh, one of the things that are out there is the Oculus Rift, uh, Google Daydream, PlayStation VR, and uh, Microsoft Hololens that are out there. So there's a bunch of technologies, and some of them are pretty pricey. My favorite happens to be the Microsoft product, sitting there, you know, at about thirty five hundred dollars right now a pair, uh, but it's it's kind of neat, and we've been able to do some pretty interesting business things um, for some of you that are uh, steeped in this area. We can sort of view through an Excel spreadsheet. So we have a set of you know numbers uh, that are in a you know a spreadsheet, which is sort of like you know two dimensional, 
And by using some of this, we can go deeper into it or abstract out uh, to give you a sense of what is going on. Uh, if that's some of you uh, are a little uncomfortable with those phrases, I apologize. I'm just giving you an example from a business standpoint. Um, most of you would probably see something in virtual reality, for example, at the Disney theme parks. And some of the new attractions uh, that are occurring, for example, the uh, one of the Avatar uh, attractions at the Walt Disney Companies, uh, you're sitting there riding a banshee through the, <laughs> through the forest, so to speak. And you've got these glasses on and things like that. It, it's, it's, it's a quite an incredible thing uh, that's out there. It's, all, it's adding the, all those senses uh, that are going on there. So that's virtual reality, which is, a, which is an immersive experience, uh, takes you out of reality versus augmented reality is taking something uh, that is real and adding uh, different levels of understanding you know, to that. Internet of Things, something that you're hearing a lot about and and. Some of this, to me, is a little bit of a head-scratcher, frankly. Uh, you know, do I need to know, um, you know, uh, certain things that my washing machine uh, is done? Uh, and, yes, that would be nice. Uh, is that the most important thing out there? I don't know. But basically what we're doing is connecting everything, Internet of Things, together. So light bulbs, washers dryers, uh, refrigerators, stoves, and things like that. And I remember a, a while back, there was a little gizmo that, that I was actually looking at that I thought was really kind of neat. And it was a refrigerator, again, wacko priced at that particular point, where as you pull things out of the refrigerator, the barcode that's on there would be scanned, you know, as you're pulling it out, and it gives you an inventory of things that are, you know, taken out. And they, uh, there was even a, a, another set of technologies that had the same type of technology for your pantry or your cupboards. So if you took out a, a box of cornflakes and it was gone, um, it would note that. And if you can sort of imagine just for a moment, magically and mystically at your doorstep the next day, a, a refill of <laughs> the cereal would be there. Now, some of this sounds a little bit possibly strange, but convenience, really kind of convenience. On the other hand, you can see the privacy issues and the security issues and everything else that's going on in that. And so that term encompasses everything involved in connecting everyday devices to the Internet uh, that's out there. Now, data is collected, of course. But it's also exchanged between devices or some controllers, you know, from a distance that's there. So you can have cars. We're seeing that, of course, now with uh, the augmentation that's going on right now. Driverless is not yet there. Don't know if it's going to be there soon or not. Big question. All the home automation systems or, you know, even, you know, everyday toaster, you know, that's out there. And some of this, the you know, is there, for example, sensing the different slices of bread and when the toast is done. Or if you have uh, eggs cooking um, and you want a medium versus hard-boiled or things like that. I'm not suggesting all of this is the mundane stuff, but it's looking at 
all these devices that will be interconnected to benefit each other and hopefully benefit us, <laughs> you know, that, you know, that's out there as you have, you know, have various things. And think about this in, in, in your own home that's there. Um, I have a sprinkling system. Uh, I have a little gauge on the sprinkling system. Um, it sits near the roof line uh, that's supposed to tell me when it rains. And, of course, when it rains, it would be nice that the sprinkling system went off. Uh, you know, and, and didn't go on in the rain. Now, that's, that's pretty simple. Another thing that I haven't done yet, but I've seen is also interesting. What about in the other direction? When your lawn gets too dry, wouldn't it be nice for the sprinkling system to recognize that? And you can think about that. You know, you have a probe in the ground that senses moisture, and it says, hey, sprinkling system, I understand it's not your day to go on, but the soil in this particular area needs a little bit more water. Let's turn this on for a period of time. You know, that would be, uh, uh, you know, that would be out there. And, of course, we all know about thermostats. You know, when you leave the house, uh, it senses that you've left the house. Um, and some of, the, uh, some of the things have different set- settings on them uh, connected to your car. Uh, so, for example, you know, you're, you're an hour away from your house. It's the winter time, and the temperature of the house has gone down to 65 degrees, whatever. I don't know what you like or not. You want it to be comfortable when you come back. You want it to 70 degrees. It recognizes that the car is so many miles away. The furnace takes X amount of time to warm up the house to that other temperature, and off it goes. This is not in the future. It's just that requirement of things being interconnected. This is a wonderful, wonderful thing. On the other hand, we have to look at the technologies and the various technologies and how it can be a positive and negative effect from a, from a standpoint of a negative effect. The more things that we interconnect to each other, the more interfaces that we have that are not engineered as a whole, interfacing is different than integration. There could be some negative consequences. But we want to we want to be positive about all of these things in this particular uh, in this particular episode. One of the more difficult concepts that you're going to be hearing about, if you haven't heard about it already, uh, is the is the word quantum, and it's associated with quantum computing. And that term is pretty difficult, frankly, to understand. And traditional computers have a very simple structure in comparison to what you and I are probably going to experience in a, in a few decades. I'm saying a few decades because there's various suggestions on how long this is going to take. And um, in a nutshell, these things aren't two states anymore. They're called qubits. And not getting into, in a broadcast like this, the nuances of, of what's going on here. It means a whole different level of speed and power that's there. All of this is in its infancy right now, and there's a lot of hype around this area, uh, but lots of research, lots of smart, smart people looking at advancing um, that's there. Now, if this can happen in this quantum computer's, Almost everything that we've talked about in the national regular computing operations that are out there for you and I today 
are going to be reexamined. It's a whole different way of processing, uh, you know, that we uh, that we see out there. So that term right now, basically, it's a it's research oriented. You're hearing some things about it. Something to keep in the back of your mind as a whole new wave. Uh, I'm going to say this funny: a quantum leap. <laughs> a, you know, it's a whole different level of interaction that's going on. Blockchain. Wow. This thing, this phrase, I'd say two or three years ago, was at the top of every technological list of things out there. Blockchain this and blockchain this. And and basically, what that is, is a database, data storage units that are distributed and they're not in one place. They're not in one place. And therefore, the belief is there's going to be a lot more security around that. But let's look at, if some of you have been reading about this, uh, what people were thinking about. It's the chain part of that word that really is the fascinating part. And the chain says you have ability to trace if I can use the phrase back and forward on things, so we can sort of look for cause and effect uh, that's out there. And in some ways, some of the things that you're seeing about, for example, accident re- reconstruction, those types of things are done because you can have a chain that's there that says, here's where this part was manufactured. Here was the, the metal that was used, for example, on that particular part. Here was the factory here was the engineering design that occurred for that particular part. Here was it was assembled. Here is where was it was assembled within this substructure for this particular product. And let's say, unfortunately, it failed. So this thing failed, and you can start working backwards in that chain to figure out what is going on. So a lot of these phrases have, have to do with things that can really help us out. So let me give you a, a sort of a practical example of, of, of things that we're seeing. And I'm going to give you, quote, a negative example, unquote, on, on why this would be great. All of us have seen out there um, the issues with automobile recalls. Have you ever thought about why the automobile manufacturer has to recall 70 or 80,000 vehicles when they know that there's only, I'm just going to throw out a number, 200 that are affected? Well, the reason is they don't have that chain that's there. So underlying all this technology is the requirement that everything has an identity. So if, you're, if you've got an automobile, it's got 17,000 parts. Just think about this for a moment. Every bolt, every nut, every everything has to be identified down to all of those levels of understanding in order for us to have a really, 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 really good blockchain. In other words, be able to trace back, oh, that bolt is broken. Well, it came from this particular automobile in this engine assembly plant that was manufactured by this sub-supplier that came from this metal supplier on Thursday of last week. Whoa. And we're going to get there. We're going to get there. So it's not only the technology that's doing that, 
Now, from a security standpoint, it it's supposed to be unbreakable. In other words, that chain is not supposed to be able to, using a contemporary term, be hacked. So we can see some of the benefits of blockchain. Wow. And, you know, some of the other things that would be useful. You know, let's walk into a supermarket for a moment. You pick up some, you know, raw chicken. It turns out possibly that raw chicken has an issue when you start cooking it. And, of course, no one wants to get sick. Well, same thing. Can we trace that back to the farm, uh, to the uh, the food that the... Uh, uh, that the chicken was was uh, was fed uh, to the people in the plant that were processing the chicken, to the cleanliness of that particular environment, to the tools that were being used, to the shipping containers, and whether those shipping containers kept the temperature correct. You can see this chaining effect to be able to do all of that stuff. Some tremendous benefits when you start thinking about it. But underlying that, as we chatted before, is what? Good data, solid data underneath that. And we've got quite a ways to go, um, you know, in, in that, uh, that particular uh, arena. But you can see the tremendous benefits that are there. And what it all means is that all the transactions that have ever occurred since it was created is verified and validated. That's what we're looking at, and that's why that whole blockchain concept could be there. Now, underlying this is probably something that is a bit more familiar to you, and that's one of the cyber currencies, Bitcoin. And um, after our, our break here in just a few minutes, we're going to be chatting about you know cyber currency also, because that has an interesting use that's there. So you're listening to the 2020s Enterprise. We're talking about technological terms and seeing if we could bring some understanding to some of the madness that's out there. We'll see you back here in just a few minutes. Is your organization in the Internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant-client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit PinnacleBusinessGroup.com. Are you frustrated with your business strategy, mission, or enterprise architecture efforts? If so, the book, Reaching the Pinnacle, a methodology of business understanding, technology planning, and change by leading enterprise architect practitioner Sam Holzman brings a method to the marketing madness that surrounds the enablement of business and mission strategy and enterprise architecture. This helpful, no-nonsense book sheds light on this poorly understood topic. It helps business executives and technology professionals build an enterprise architecture appropriate to their organizational needs, enabling their business and mission strategy. 
Enterprise Architecture is the rethinking of how business and mission planning and information technology can support each other to achieve its strategic and mission objectives through the development of a series of project initiatives and agile models. Reaching the Pinnacle is available at Amazon.com. You are listening to The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at eacoe.org. That's sam at eacoe.org. Now, back to The 2020s Enterprise. Welcome back. We've been talking about terms. I call it, uh, maybe it's not kind, I call it technobabble. (laughs) that's <laughs> out there, uh, terms that um, sometimes may be familiar to you, but just give me some background into some of these terminologies uh, as we're moving into the information age and out of the Internet age, they're going to become a little bit more popular. And uh, just to give you some information uh, in, in this particular episode about some of these terminologies to try to demystify uh, some of these uh, phrases that are out there. And one of the terms that uh, I'm going to be discussing right now is a huge, huge mystery to me and a lot of other people, and that's this whole concept of cyber currency, uh, mostly popularized uh, by, of course, the cyber currency called Bitcoin. And when I looked at this quite some time ago, um, as somewhat of a mathematician and an engineer, it made me very uncomfortable. And and the reason to me it was uncomfortable is because I didn't actually know what it was intended to do. I understood the phrase. In other words, we're going to exchange monetary value through electronic means, you know. And it's sort of like an ATM card that you and I decide that we're going to exchange X dollars and not have any intermediaries that are out there. And, of course, when cyber currency was first out there, the whole community was a bit upset because they thought, you know, hey, this is going to be used by all those illicit people out there to exchange funds without the government knowing about it and the police forces and everything else like that. And I'm sure a lot of that went out around there. None of that concerned me as much as saying, what is it? Well, it's a computer program. And that's what alarmed me more than anything else. Why would it alarm me? Because this is my background. I understand how immature technology is and programming of that is and how vulnerable it is to an individual or not. And if you remember early on, there's still a debate out there as to where Bitcoin actually came from. Who was the father? Who was the author of this? But where is it? And we have to remember it's a series of mathematical algorithms. It's software. And one of the things we know about software, and I have to emphasize this, one of the things we need to recognize is software is vulnerable to what? People changing the software, duh, as Homer Simpson would say. And so this is all based on a series of algorithms that was built by somebody, which we have no idea who who that is, that has the source code and the keys to the kingdom, so to speak. And 
I'm not sure if I trust that. Now, people say, well, that's more trusting than our federal government. You get in that whole argument about Big Brother watching. Well, we don't know Big Brother isn't behind this thing either that's uh, out there. So it's a form of exchange of funds, cyber currency. And there's now a bunch of them besides Bitcoin, as you know. And, of course, there's exchanges out there. And part of it is to make transactions, I think, less costly and frictionless. Part of this is a reaction to some of the things that you and I are seeing. So, for example, if you go to an ATM machine, automatic teller machine at your, at your, at your bank, and you want to pull out $100, well, you get $100. If you go to a third party and want to pull out $100, um, the group that has the money charges you $3. I'm just you know, throwing out some numbers out there. And then your bank charges you an extra buck and a half because they have to do the exchange there. So all of a sudden it costs you $4.50 for you to take out $100. And you say, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. If I walk in and talk to a teller that costs the bank money and they've got a whole building there with heat, light, and electricity and bricks and mortar and everything else like that, I can take the money out and it doesn't cost me anything. If I go to their ATM machine, it doesn't cost me anything. But if I go to another bank, so again, people are looking at exchanging funds different ways. And so this could be a reaction to it. And of course, there's there's those out there that talk about well, part of this is to hide those transactions because people suggest that a lot of this stuff is nobody's business uh, that's out there. There's a lot of people that say one of the reasons you want to hide it is because you're doing things that aren't possibly 100% out there that are comfortable to people. So we've talked about a number of different terms um, that are that are out there. And... These terms are there for two reasons. One is you're trying to summarize what these things are for people that are looking at these terms to say, okay, here's the terminology. So if I say to you, music, you sort of know what it is. If I say to you, house, you know what it is. It's a class of things that are out there, and then we can start drilling down to the specifics. Well, it's the same thing with these terms. And they're a little, a little bit newer because the whole concept of technology hasn't been around there, you know, for, for quite, some, quite some time. So the Internet has enabled a lot of this, which is great, you know, these, these terms that are great. And what we were trying to do was to provide you with some, um, you know, understanding uh, on, on some of these terms that are out there. But I just want to briefly now talk about some of the nonsense, nonsensical things which I love these, and that's the claptrap that I call it. In other words, the terminology that is just obnoxious, in my humble opinion. And I'm going to name sources. Uh, Forgive me for doing this, but these are from published things that are out there. To give you an idea of some of the nonsense uh, that is also getting in the way of, of communication that's out there. So I'm going to give you some phrases here. Just pause for a moment and tell you what it meant from the author of these particular things. So one of the first babbles that we see out there uh, that I think was kind of interesting is, here's a direct quote, this is a sustainable 
mobility solution, a sustainable mobility solution. What is that? Well, that comes from Toyota. And that's the way they have renamed a car. Excuse me for me giggling on some of this stuff. So you can't call it a car anymore. It's a sustainable mobility solution. Here's another one. And you can take these to your cocktail conversation. I think they're kind of fun. A reading container. A reading container. What is that? That's what Amazon is now calling a book. <laughs> okay. As the phrase goes, why say something in two words that you can say in 34? That's <laughs> out there. Remember the professor I had in my business degree program. Here's another one. A hair management system. A hair management system. Wow, that sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty expensive. Well, that's what Speedo has rebranded their swimming cap. <laughs> it's up there. So that, you know, that rubber cap that you wear when you're going into the pool. And my favorite one, especially nowadays, ladies and gentlemen, my favorite one is the following. An affordable, portable, life-size beverage. Affordable, portable, life-size beverage. What is that? But that's what Nestle is calling their bottled water. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. So these terms are sometimes actually not too useful to us when we start looking at things that are things that are out there. And so clarity is sometimes uh, you know something that uh, is needed. And when it comes to these technologies, you know I think that's there. In other episodes of the uh, 2020s Enterprise. Uh, I tried to talk to you about, you know, things like digital transformation and, and what that means. And the concept of enterprise architecture, which has 11 million definitions on Google. And coming up an episode I'm going to have on business architecture uh, that I was putting together for for upcoming episode. I always do this just as curiosity. I did a Google search on that phrase. And what came up there, and I actually did it twice because I couldn't believe the number coming back, business architecture, there are 7 billion, 790 million, 7 billion, 790 million entries for that term. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, which one is correct? Well, I think it actually is the 6,748,592,016 is the right answer that's there. I mean, this is kind of crazy. And it's because these terms are being thrown out thrown out there without any consistently. And that's why a lot of people use the word buzzword. And some other people, uh, you know, you call it techno babble. And some people use a nasty term like, uh, you know, claptrap that's out there, which is pretty insulting when it comes to it because it's really a, a nonsensical term that's out there. But some of the things are pretty good. So we talked about net neutrality, for example. We talked about big data. We talked about the terms like voice recognition, augmented reality, virtual reality, cyber currency, Internet of Things, blockchain, 
those types of things that I think are kind of useful. And, of course, we talked about what the actual Internet is and what the web is to hopefully help you understand some of these terms as you're, as you're moving forward. Because this is the new contemporary language, you know, that's out there. And we also spent a little bit of time on the word cloud and what cloud computing is because that term is, I think, one of the more misunderstood terms, you know, that are out there, this concept of, of, of cloud and cloud computing. And one final thing I want to mention to you as we're closing out is the term app. We see that a lot, especially on cell phones that are out there. Um, and another phrase that's used, again, that's a, that's a, a shortening of application. There's smartphone apps, there's online apps, there's desktop apps, there's hybrid apps. There's all sorts of apps that are out there. Um, and all of these things are basically what? It's a series of actions that are wrapped around something that's there. So you have a financial app. And what these are are really pieces of software that are doing a specific function. And if you're in your office environment, they tend to be large software environments. The word app is generally associated with smaller pieces of functionality that we usually see on a, on a cell phone or a smartphone or things like that. And so that's that term. And a newer term that you're probably hearing about that sometimes scares us a little bit is called a chatbot. And what a chatbot is, is what? It's a communication, it's a computer program that conducts a human-like, in big quotes, conversation, usually via text. And what it's doing is saying, I see these seven words that are being asked by this particular person I think I can respond this way. And some people call them, you know, voice response units and things like that. And that's taking some general terminology and putting them together to come up with an answer a little bit faster. So it's a substitute for a human being answer a question, a question to you. But we have to remember that these, these are going to be pre-programmed. And so I don't think people are going to disappear you know, that quickly that's there. So you've been listening to this particular episode, and this whole episode has been around terminology, and I hope, as we always do in our program together, we've taken some of the mystery out of these terms uh, that are out there to clarify some of these terms that you may be seeing in a in day, day, day in and day out basis, whether it's at your work environment or whether it's in your casual conversations, and some of these terms you can have some fun with in your, in, in your next party that's there. Thank you for listening. I can always be reached at sam at eacoe.org. Sam at eacoe.org is my email. Be more than happy to chat with you on this or any other topic that may have interest to you in technology or business. Until next time, Sam Holzman, have a great week.